Hey, Unnaturalists. I'm Emily. I'm Andy. And welcome back to another episode of your favorite true crime podcast, Unnatural. Hey, good to be back. It's good to be back. Season four, as we have discussed, not season yeah. three. <laughs> because that just ended and I don't know how to count. Public school did wonders for me. Yeah. So... I'm guessing you're going to do wonders for us in today's episode. I have no idea what it is. I was It was funny because before we started recording, I was trying to put together some guesses as to what you might do. So is it going to be some sort of disappearance? Is it a serial killer? What are we doing today? We are doing a murder, an mm. accidental murder. Oh. Um, that happened in the outskirts that happened in the outskirts. Whoa, that sounded really Canadian. Yeah, I was going to say you were almost like British there. That happened in the outskirts of Cleveland, Ohio in 2006 when a 31-year-old man had been shot in his home. Authorities were perplexed as to who did it and what the possible motive could be. And after some investigation, they realized that there was much more to this case than met the eye. And it turned out this murder was a tragic case of mistaken identity. This is the story of Daniel Ott. Edward Ott was born April 17, 1975, to his parents, Linda and Leroy, in Amherst, Ohio. He also had a younger sister named Kimberly. He grew up about 40 miles west of Cleveland and, you know, stayed in the area pretty much uh, his whole life. He graduated from Vermilion High School in 1993 and went to college for horticulture, which, if you don't know, that is the science and business of growing and cultivating plants. He was known as a dedicated student who had a green thumb, Obviously, since that's what he went to school for, I cannot relate. I have killed fake plants, guys, okay? I do have one, two, three, four living plants in my home right now that are doing okay. Nice. Um, I have nine now. Nine? See, I want to get one of those, um, like, like vines, like hanging vines. Yeah, yeah. And put it somewhere. I want to get one of those, too. Anyway. Anyway, moving on. He had great relationships with his friends, family, and many of his bosses and coworkers. Um, throughout his career, he uh, worked at Green Circle Growers, and he was there for 10 years. That it, it sounds like that was the first job that he had right out of college. He also worked at Eagle Creek Garden Center as one of the growers. And then um, at the time of his death, he was the head grower and manager at Urban Growers in Burton, Ohio. So he had this guy a, had a passion for plants. Yeah, a passion. He had a really great career. He was really going places. He was making a name for himself in that community. 
Um, and then by 2006, he was living with his girlfriend, Marianne Ricker. They had moved in with each other and into this house three years prior. And I did read in one source that they were living rent-free in this house because it was right next to um, Daniel's job at the Urban Growers. Like, it was kind of on the same property. So, one of the perks was that they got to live there for free. Um, Yeah, I wouldn't care what a house looked like. If I was able to live there for free... Chances are I would not be moving out anytime soon. Yeah, like I would not even complain about not getting a holiday bonus or like a yearly bonus. And like if I'm able to live somewhere for free, that's all I need. And live close to work. That's even better. Yeah. So this plot of land that they lived on was a five acre property. I guess there was a small lake. And by all accounts, it was a nice little house just for the two of them. They were planning to move to Michigan. In the near future, because Daniel saw an opportunity to earn more money doing what he loved as a greenhouse manager. And Marianne, who was 35 at the time, some sources said that they were engaged and she was a fiance, but I don't I don't know that for sure. But they were living together. They were in a relationship. They were pretty much by May 2006, May 26, 2006, they were all packed up and ready to head to Michigan. They were just kind of spending a few more nights in the house, you know, kind of just doing those last minute things, packing up just the few things that they had left, uh, preparing to say goodbye to their family and friends. Um, And they were planning on moving officially to Michigan either May 27th or May 28th of that year. Now, the area that they lived in was described as quaint, quiet, and safe, just kind of a typical small town in Ohio, or I guess really any small town in the Midwest. I feel like that's what you hear them described as all the time. Yeah, right. Um, And then on May 26th, 2006, Daniel and Marianne were sleeping on an air mattress in the living room. Um, This was supposed to be either their last or second to the last night in the home before moving. When around 6.30 a.m., they were woken up by their bulldog, Mulligan, barking and making noise, alerting them that something might not be quite right. Um, But they figured that maybe it was a squirrel or a cat or a raccoon outside or something. So they tried to hush him and go back to sleep. But Mulligan continued barking and the couple woke up and were horrified when they realized that a masked man was standing in their home holding a sawed off shotgun. Oh, my God. So that's a big no. For me, Um, he was wearing camouflage hunting gear and a black ski mask, and he told them not to move or make a sound or he would kill them. Um, He did ask Daniel what his name was, and he responded, I'm Daniel Ott. And then the man kind of stood there for a minute before forcing both of them to lie face down on the floor. Um, He then bound and gagged Daniel with duct tape. But he didn't tie up Marianne. He just told her to lay down and be quiet. And, you know, obviously she's terrified. So she complies and she she listens to him. Now, I did read in a couple sources that Daniel was like sat in a chair. Other sources said that he was just like sat on the ground, which I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure because, I mean, most of their stuff had already been packed up and sent to Michigan and like all they had left was supposed to be able to fit in their car. So I don't know that there would be a chair there. Um, but either way, right. it doesn't 
necessarily really matter. It's just kind of an aside. Um, But both of them are obviously terrified at this point. And Daniel, who is just terrified of any harm coming to his girlfriend because they don't know what this guy is doing. He has a weapon. He's got a mask. You know, you never know what somebody is. Yeah. I was going to ask it. Was he attempting to rob the place or what were this guy's motives? I guess you're going to get into that. Yeah, we will get into that. But they're both terrified. Daniel is able to break free of his restraints. And a couple sources said that he grabbed a lamp. Um, Others said that he just grabbed some sort of object and he attempted to knock the intruder over the head, like knock him out or something so they could escape. But um, the intruder, remember, did have a gun and he opened fire and shot Daniel in the chest at point blank range. Now, at that point in time, the shooter ran. He uh, got into a car and left, leaving Marianne behind. And she was able to call for help at about 645. So this all happened in just like a matter of 15 minutes. So it, it, wow. it all happened very quickly. It's crazy how, you know, your life, your plans, all of that can change in a matter of minutes. Yeah, Absolutely. So Marianne calls the police. They are rushing out to the home. Daniel was still clinging to life uh, when rescuers arrived and he was rushed to the local hospital. But unfortunately, he did not make it and was pronounced dead on arrival. Traumatized but physically unharmed, Marianne met with the police later that afternoon to give them any information she had about the killer, about the whole situation. Um, But because he was wearing a mask, she didn't get a look at his face. She said that he was about five foot 10 with a medium build. Um, she said she also briefly saw the vehicle he escaped in, which she she said was a maroon Ford, but that's all she could see. Like she didn't know like yeah. what specific make or model the well, car was. And this is not super specific. And as far as evidence at the scene, nothing was really left behind. There were no signs of forced entry. Um, Because this was such like a small and relatively safe area, um, I guess they said that they didn't always lock their doors. So the intruder was just able to open the door and walk in. And since he was pretty well covered, there really wasn't any physical evidence from him, like DNA or anything left behind. Um, They did an extensive search of the surrounding area, but were unable to find the weapon. So he, um, the intruder obviously took it with him. And because murders rarely, if ever, happened in this area, the local law enforcement agency um, had to call for backup from a bigger agency who had a little bit more experience with this sort of thing. Um, And pretty, pretty immediately, they were asking the public for tips or any information because they really couldn't figure out what the motive would be. I mean, you know, like they were sleeping on the floor. So the intruder, like if, if the motive was robbery, you'd think that he would walk in the house, see, well, shit, there's nothing in here and leave. Um, Yeah. Like I'm just trying to figure out in my head, like, did he have any enemies? Was there maybe somebody who was a competing horticulture, horticulture person who wanted him gone? I don't know. I can't figure it out. Yeah, no. Um they they really couldn't find anything. And like Marianne was unharmed and she said that like after Daniel was tied up, 
um, the intruder, like he turned around and he was walking towards the door like he was going to leave. But Daniel ended up getting out of his restraints and like went after him. So mm-hmm. they they were really confused on what all of this was about. And uh, police thought that like it seemed targeted, you know, but yeah. like they couldn't figure out why, because the intruder asked Daniel what his name was and it was only then that he decided to like tie him up and like things went down but daniel like he wanted to make sure that that's who it was yeah but like daniel was widely regarded as kind and generous he was very well liked in the community and i mean like how could how could you dislike a man who grows flowers for a living and right. loves doing that like if there was ever a green flag in a man, it's that one, you know? Yeah, no doubt. I don't think I've ever met anyone who grew flowers and plants for a living that wasn't a great person. You'll never find a snollygoster growing plants, that's for sure. Exactly. The only, the only place you'll find a bad person who likes growing flowers is in Dexter. And that's fictional. (laughs) And Hannah was actually a very redeemable character. For sure. Anyway. I agree. So police are hitting dead end after dead end. The case is growing cold despite relentless efforts by investigators. So they're really just starting to dig and dig into Daniel's life, right? Because there's like, they're, they're just like, you know, there's got to be something here that we're something. not seeing that we're missing just to like make this make sense because it wasn't making sense. And then yeah. that's when they discover that there is another Daniel Ott who lives not very far away. This man is Daniel C. Ott. Now, if you remember, Daniel's middle name was Edward. So it's Mm. there that they kind of have a light bulb moment and they're like, okay, this isn't a super common name. It's a weird coincidence that there's two men by the same name in the same area. One of them is dead and it makes no sense. And And you said the town was pretty small, right? Yeah. So the town that Daniel E. lived in was like population 2000 people daniel c lived in a small town like 20 or 30 miles away Mm. so weird coincidence and unlike our daniel daniel c has a pretty lengthy record and a past if you know what i mean so police are starting to think that it's plausible that daniel c was the intended target of the murder and Daniel E was killed instead. So there was a hit out on Daniel C, but they accidentally killed Daniel E. Well, yeah, they're thinking that, but at the same time, Daniel C is like 70 and Daniel (sighs) E is in his early thirties. If you remember, so, so if that's th- what happened, somebody was an idiot. Yeah. So like if it was a hit, this hitman didn't have much information about his target or he's a bad hitman. Either way, like you're going to want to know who you're supposed to be taking out other than their name. Yeah. Right. Maybe like who even picture. hired you. Right. Maybe know what they look like or how old they are. Yeah. So this is the police this is the police this is the theory that police are kind of working on so they start looking into daniel c a little bit more closely 
Police said that he was a, quote, career criminal with an extremely lengthy criminal history. He had priors going back to 1960. Most of them were car thefts. He had around 14 convictions for stealing cars. Now that he's, you know, in his 70s, he's still stealing cars. But his gimmick is that he comes off as like this sweet, innocent old man who just wants to take a look, like sit in the cool muscle car, take a look at it, like at a dealership or something. And then, you know, he'll he'll scurry off. But then the next day, that car is gone. Sounds like a snolly goster to me. Sounds like the snolliest goster, if you ask me. He also stole four planes. Hmm. Planes? Airplanes? Airplanes. Whoa. Airplanes. Four of them. Yep. Um, He was 13 when he stole his first car. Uh, He was working as a paper boy and saw a car with the keys still in it. And he took it and drove it around to deliver his papers on his route, which it don't steal cars. But it is a little funny. (laughs) He was like, fuck this riding bike (laughs) bullshit. Like, I'm going to take a car. And he apparently drove this car around doing his paper routes for about two weeks before he dumped it and it was eventually found. Wow. He also landed himself on a watch list because he stole an FBI surveillance van. Why? Why? And he was in prison (laughs) twice over the years for this theft. I mean, like he went to jail several times, but he had two stints in prison. I mean... They also discovered... I've never committed grand larceny, but... If I were to, I probably would stay away from any sort of law enforcement vehicle. That's just me. So they also discovered that Daniel C. and his buddies, Joseph Rosebrook and Kurt Frazier, worked together for years operating a chop shop. Now, if you don't know what that is, basically it's an illegal operation where stolen cars go to be dismantled and sold off for parts Hmm. so now police are finding that in their investigation kind of digging into daniel c and his sordid history they find that kurt ended up in prison and joe ended up in prison because kurt cooperated with the police and ratted out joe on like this whole operation. These were Daniel's two so, friends, you said? These are Daniel okay. C's two friends that like they had the chop shop thing together. Now, Joe is pissed and he is not a man you want to fuck around and find out with. Okay? So this this chop shop kind of being dismantled and people ratting people out was kind of like the spark that sent off this whole chain of events. Are you intrigued by the dark side of things like murder, kidnapping, and sex cults? What about when the criminal is your favorite musician or actor or director or writer? 
Hollywood might look like all glitz and glamour until you take a closer look. But I'll tell you one thing, that kind of point of view can make you more vulnerable. From Roman Polanski to Mackenzie Phillips to Judith Barcy to Kurt Cobain, some are predators and some are prey. I'm Dee Dee West, and I just might ruin your childhood. Follow my podcast, Broken Limelight, where I cover celebrity true crime stories. For more information, visit BrokenLimelight.com. Again, that's Broken Limelight. Follow it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. Try and stick with me here because it gets confusing. Okay. So Joe also has a lengthy criminal record spanning decades. Um, At this point in time, he's like in his late 50s. I'm in 2006. So in the 90s, this is just some background on kind of like you don't want to fuck around with this dude. In the 90s, an associate, a criminal associate of Joe's, agreed to testify against him but he went missing and was presumed dead now joe was never like no body was ever found joe was never convicted in this disappearance but he was a suspect joe also apparently has a history of hiring hitmen Mm. to take out anyone who cooperates with the police against him so say it with me sus sus So, like, there's witness tampering, there's witness intimidation, and nobody really wants to speak out against him because they don't want to get got. Right. Right? Yeah. They're making good choices, sort of, so they don't get got. They're they're listening. But the police have a real good feeling at this point in time that Daniel E. was not the intended target, and it was, in fact, Daniel C., and Joe was probably involved. So keep in mind, like this, this is this investigation is going on over months and years, and they're really not releasing a whole lot to the public because a lot of it is just speculation. You know, they have a theory. They want to keep it all close to the chest. And eventually nine years pass and pretty much everyone assumes that the case is cold and it's dead ends. But then on June 1st, 2015, police announced that three men and one woman have been arrested in connection with Daniel E. Ott's murder. Wow. So Joe was arrested in Florida, and he had moved there after being released from prison a few years or a few months prior in Ohio. So he got released from prison in Ohio, moved to Florida. Joe's brother, Carl Jeffrey Rosebrook, was arrested in his home in Ohio. Chad South of Dayton, Ohio, was also arrested. And a woman by the name of Mindy was arrested. So how are they all connected? Yeah, I haven't heard her yet. Yeah, we haven't heard her. We haven't heard of Carl or Chad yet. So... The police theory goes that Joe hired Chad to kill Daniel C, but Chad killed the wrong guy because he sucks. (laughs) That's what they're working with. Now they just have to prove it. So who the fuck is Chad? 
right? right? So at the time he's arrested, he's 46. He's from Ohio. Two years prior to Daniel E.'s murder, Chad was arrested for burglary. Now, at this point in time, Joe is also in prison on racketeering charges because of the um, chop shop thing with Kurt and Daniel. Right. Mm -hmm. So Joe's in prison. Kurt's in prison, too. And Joe goes to Daniel C. And he's like, yo, Kurt ratted us out. That's why I'm in prison right now. You got to kill him. I think Kurt just did like a like a brief stint in jail because he had like some sort of plea deal, whatever. So he got a lot less time for talking. So Daniel C is like, yeah, yeah, sure. I'll take care of it. But instead, he goes to the police and is like, hey, Joe just tried to hire me to kill Kurt. And he agreed to wear a wire to get a lesser sentence of his own in relation to this whole thing. So Joe finds out and he is pissed because now two of his buddies have ratted on him. And, you know, what they say, snitches get stitches, mm-hmm. right? That's what they do in the mob anyway. Yeah. And this is just crazy to me that this is all taking place in like a small community in Ohio. I mean, we all know like there's a lot of shit that goes on in Ohio <laughs> that you hear about in the headlines. Like Ohio is kind of like the Florida of the Midwest, Kinda, but yeah. still. Yeah. Like this happens everywhere. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so Joe is in prison. He pleads guilty in 2005 for the chop shop operation and conspiracy to commit aggravated murder. Now he meets Chad because they end up being cellmates. And Chad gets out in March of 2006. And Joe had gotten a hold of like a burner phone on the inside. So he was able to get in contact with Chad, who's on the outside, and hired him to kill Daniel C. Now, Joe's brother is involved because he was instructed to like get the money and give it to Chad for killing him. I don't know how much money was involved. I didn't I didn't really see like what the going rate for Hitman is. Um And then Mindy ended up being the getaway driver. Because you remember how, like, Chad just kind of, like, ran out and took off while she was in the car and was driving. So, police are kind of putting it all together. And now it's, like, 2015, right, when all this happened. And the reason why they were really able to put this shit together was because Mindy ended up coming forward And was like, hey, look, I have all this information. I'll help you. But she was really trying to, like, minimize her involvement. She was lying a lot. So she wasn't, like, super credible. I mean, like, she was helpful, but they really had to, like, weed through what she was saying to actually get to the truth. Right? Now, I guess Chad knew that Daniel Ott was who he was supposed to be looking for. He knew that he was an old man, which is why he was confused when he got into the house and saw two 30-somethings asleep on the floor in the home. So he was that's why he asked Daniel his name right away. And he was like, oh, shit, I fucked up. Which is why, like, he he said that he was just going to, oh, like, tie him up and leave. That's- but then if you remember, Daniel got free... And went to attack him and then ended up getting shot and killed. And Chad 
runs away. So. So he wasn't going to go through with it. But obviously, right, yeah, he was going to leave because he was like, what the fuck? Because he just like did some Googling, like he knew the general area right. where Daniel Ott lived and he found an address because at the time, Chad and like Mindy and all of them lived about 200 miles away from where both Daniel Ott's right. So once, once he asked him his name and realized, oh, this isn't the old Daniel Ott, I, it must be a different Daniel Ott, then he's probably thinking to himself, okay, well, maybe I should just get out of here or something. But the other Daniel Ott doesn't know that. So, of course, he's going to try and defend himself and his girlfriend. And sadly, that's... Yeah, because they didn't know, like, what if he was leaving to go back out to the car to get, like, another weapon, to get a knife, to get rope? Like, they don't know. know. You couldn't know. Right. You couldn't know. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, so it's it's super fucking tragic that, I mean, maybe, like, if Daniel, like, hadn't have gotten out of his restraints, like, they might both still be alive today. There's, like, so many little things, like, if so many just, like, little things had gone differently like none of this maybe would have happened Mm -hmm. so anyway carl ended up pleading guilty on september 30th 2015 to charges of obstructing official business and was ordered to pay a fine chad the hitman was sentenced to 28 years in prison for murder and kidnapping Mindy was sentenced to 18 years for involuntary manslaughter, kidnapping, and obstructing justice. And our buddy Joe, who orchestrated this whole goddamn thing, was sentenced to life in prison after being found guilty of aggravated murder. Wow. Now, Daniel C. was eventually arrested Again, for car theft, and he told investigators that over the course of his life, he had stolen more than 100 cars Wow! since he began in the 60s when he was like 13. Well, and he's and he also said, like, after all of this came out, he is like after Daniel E's murder in 2006, he had had two other attempts on his life. But as far as I could tell, I mean, like he was. Obviously, Daniel C. like wasn't connected to any of this. I mean, like he's just right. like gone to jail and prison for his car thefts. And but hopefully, whatever. this gave him so, a new lease on life or something, or made him reevaluate his life at least. Well, <laughs> you would think. I mean, you're in your seventies. Yeah. Like, come on. Is he still alive now, or has he passed away? Do you know? Um, I believe he's still alive. Doesn't matter, I guess, but. Oh, hold on. Oh, no, he is still alive. But I think he's in prison. Again. Well, and it's hard to Google because, like, you Google the name and a lot of it is about Daniel E. Right. Obviously, as it should be. Let's see. Yeah, as we know, Joe will spend the rest of his life behind bars. He's currently at the Marion Correctional Institute in Marion, Ohio. Chad is at the Ross Correctional Institution in Ross County. And it looks like... Um, His earliest possible parole date will be in 2043. 
I feel like he should probably be in prison for the rest of his life, too. Chad? Yeah. Yeah. And it looks like Carl, um, I mean, obviously, like, he was very minimally involved in Mm -hmm. any and all of this. He was just kind of like the money deliverer. He He didn't serve any prison time. He had to pay a fine and... Um, it looks like, I mean, he tries to keep a low profile and stay out of the public, but he still lives in Ohio. It looks like I really, I can't find anything. I can't find where Daniel C. Ott is right now. It doesn't look. Well, wherever he is, he should be thanking the heaven and stars for the fact that he's still on this earth at all. Yeah. It doesn't look like it doesn't look like he's dead. It doesn't look like he's if not for his misgivings and the life he led, this never would have taken place. Right. So uh, anyway, thus concludes this tragic, absolutely fucking tragic story. Did not even have to happen. Yeah. Of Daniel Ott. We see that kind of stuff a lot. As you mentioned before, you know, just these little what ifs. If this, you know, if he had went to the right house or if this guy Even like if Joe just like didn't have access to a burner phone in prison. Yeah. Never would have went down. And Daniel and Marianne would have probably been married by now, had kids. I mean, yeah, just crazy. Grew flowers and lived happily ever after. Yeah. Well, we may not be ones for growing flowers, but we would love to grow our followers on our social media pages. So come hang out with us on Instagram. Unnatural, the podcast with a Facebook page, Unnatural, a true crime podcast. Send us a Gmail, unnaturalthepodcast at gmail.com. I'm working on getting us set up with a Threads account because we don't know who Twitter or X is anymore. And I'm going to do a poll, actually, on the Instagram because uh, we do have the option to do like a sort of patron program through mm-hmm. not Patreon, but like either Apple Podcasts or um, through our host website, Podbean. So I want to know what you guys think, if you would be willing to support us with that. Uh, so definitely follow our Instagram for updates, pictures from this case, prior cases, and depending on when you're listening, future cases. And look out for that. Also, be sure to rate, subscribe, follow, and share us with your friends. And we will talk to you next week. Hell yeah. Is that all you got? Well, I was going to maybe give a little tease, but I I don't know if I should or not. Because I do know what it's going to be. It's do gonna you be or a, are you going to change your mind last minute? No, <laughs> that's, kinda wanna, that's kind of why I want to say it. That way I won't be able to change. Okay. It's going to be a story out of the Northeast in New Hampshire and Massachusetts of a disappearance of a young woman who attended West Point Academy. She had a lot of things going for her. Sadly, things took a terrible turn. 
but there are a lot of mysteries surrounding her disappearance. So we'll get into that next week. Sounds so exciting. I can't wait. But unfortunately, we have to because we don't have a time machine and we can't fast forward to when that happens. But in the meantime, be sure to make good choices. And don't get got. Bye. He graduated from Vermilion High School in 1993 and went to college and studied horticulture, which, if you don't know, is the science and business of growing and cultivating plants, which I could never. Um, oh, yeah. In- I thought you said horticulture at first. I did say horticulture. Isn't it horticulture? That's what I said. Oh, I thought, you- well, that's what I'm saying. I thought you said horn-culture. Horticulture? <laughs> Horticulture, yeah. What is hor- What did I say? I thought you said horticulture, but it sounds like you said horticulture. What so, is horticulture? I don't know. <laughs> the study of being horny. The study of being? Is that what it is? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I've never committed grand larceny, but if I were to, I probably would stay away from any sort of law enforcement vehicle. That's just me. Yeah, I had a friend back in college who stole um, a license plate off of a sheriff's vehicle. And he had it, like, in his dorm. He never got caught? No, because he said what he did is that, like, he had a mask on and he crawled under the car and, like, scooted up to... I, I don't remember if it was a front or a back plate, but, like, he was under the car and scooted to whichever side and then undid it. And then ran so, like, the cameras on both the front and back wouldn't wow. see him. Well, good for him. Yeah, like, he had a couple stop signs and, like, mile marker signs. Like, he had, like, like a 69 mile marker <laughs> of sign. Which, did. of course, <laughs> yeah. like an 18-year-old I, boy. I, I think we've all had a friend course. that and had then, one of those. <laughs> yeah. And then he had another sign. I don't know, but like they're they're like when you're in the car, they don't seem that big. But like when you see one, I'm like like oh they're up close, yeah. like they're huge, like a yield sign. My sister had a yield sign that she got somehow. It was huge. Oh, see, like I stole road cones. <laughs> <laughs> I stole road cones. <laughs> yeah, and I got pulled over one time, and. They saw the road cone? I don't, re- I don't remember why, but the cops asked to look in my trunk. Hmm. And they found one of them? Well, and I didn't know any better, so I was like, yeah, sure. And then there was, there was two road cones <laughs> in my trunk, and they were like, why are there road cones in your trunk? And I was like, I don't fucking know. Like, this is my dad's car. I'm just driving it. And they were like, well, does your dad work construction? And I was like, yeah, he didn't. He didn't. Wait, do you want this to be in or not? I don't care. Okay. So I was like 16. It was a victimless crime. It was a victimless crime.
Ready? Yeah. <coughs> <coughs> mm. 